Hallelujah. This, this morning starts our new sermon series, The Unsettling Solution to Just About Everything. Uh, you know, did you have a great Thanksgiving? Wasn't that great? You know, we, we had family, Gwen's family over this year, and uh, in our house for several, several days was about 13 people, and uh, coming and going, and uh, did, I, did I say for several days? You know, the, the wonderful thing about having family over is you're preparing ahead of time and we're blessed to have, I'm blessed to have good in-laws and Gwen has uh, great uh, parents and they even send money ahead to help with the food. Huh? Huh? That, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Let me tell you, especially, did I say there was 13 people staying in our house for several days? And, and you know, you, you get up in the morning and, you know, there's, there's always that... Uh, person that gets up earlier or sleeps in a little later and then during the day there's someone that says oh so we're having that for dinner (laughs) there's always you know as well as me that the longer that we're together you know what the chances of conflict are 100 percent 100 percent some of us have never had an argument because we we really see each other very little amounts of time during the week. Usually it's just here, and for the most part, it's just me talking, uh, speaking, and you're not talking. And if we if we got into maybe a, a deep relationship, and sometimes that's why we, well, that's why we encourage you to come early for our Christian education, because there's discussion times, and we kind of get to know each other, not just so that we can fight about it, no, 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 not that, but we can, we can discuss, and we can get closer together. Now, now, the thing about Christmas is that there's going to be times that we spend more time with each other as well as the people that are around us and, and family. Uh, all of us have a family and it begins to grow. You know, Gwen and I, just Gwen and I, two people. Then we had four children, so all of a sudden there's six of us. And and then May has been uh, added to our family with Heath being married. And then... Got a shout out for May in there somehow. And, and then one day, you know, you've got you got four kids and you got two parents and it's six can turn into 10 pretty quick. If, if they would choose to get married, I'm staying out of that one. But if, if they they chose to bless their their father with grandchildren, Let, let's just say 10 apiece. You know, you could also you could see how we could have a big family, big family, big family. I, I love family. And I'm not a grandfather yet, but I have some friends that have been grandfathers. I mean, my age, and then, of course, all of you that are grandparents. But but what I found out is that as a grandfather, all those things that your children, they begin to realize is happening to them. And then I get a look at little Johnny. I'm not saying that any of my children would name their children after me, but just saying just in case, and, and look at little Johnny and go get him. Here's a candy bar. Going home, yeah. But, but, but you know, as Christmas comes, I'll, I'll be spending time with my family and, and then Gwen's family also come and spend a few more days. And uh, when we're, we're dealing with people, you know, there, there's... A place where we go, surely there's a solution from 
with all the, the disagreement or the, you know, tension that's in the room. And th as we start this Christmas series, I, I want to begin talking about just the love that God had for us in coming in. Again, the unsettling solution for about everything we're going to be talking about. Uh, you know, the, the more that we get into Christmas and people that don't even know really what Christmas is about, um, there's so many distractions that come our way. We know that. We, we've heard it. And usually every Christmas we hear somebody say, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season. And we, we snap back and go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But we can get distracted about all the things that are happening out of really the norm of the year. I mean, come on. How many guys do you find with that look on their face throughout the year a panic? I don't know when I'm getting her, but it's Christmas Eve. You just see all those things that happen kind of out of usual or not the norm during the year. And But when I look at Christmas and those when we enter into this time and we I, I just this might be naive, but I don't know why everybody wouldn't want to believe Christianity to be true. I, I mean, when you really get down to it, it I, I understand the difference between I don't believe it's true versus. I don't want it to be true. I don't, I don't understand it. Here's a man named Pascal, Blaise Pascal. He was a 17th century French mathematician and philosopher and homeschooler. Just a little plug there for homeschooling. But, but he, was a, he was this philosopher that came up with this and he said this, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. And I'm not saying just because something is attractive, it, it, it should be believed in, but I'm saying that people want to know that this is right because it, it's so attractive. And that's like Christianity is, especially in the original version, that Jesus was so I mean, it was great to be around him and to hear him speak and, and just to, to hear what he was preaching. That's what Christianity is. And, and I don't know what kind of background you have and what kind of you know uh, church that you grew up in and, and what kind of what version of Christianity, but, but the original version, I, I hope you, like me, just wonder, why would everybody want to believe it's true? The one word that might not have been a part of your equation that is a part of Christianity, let me tell you, if you experienced or not, and the one word that has had caused so many problems in, in Jesus' time and still causes problems in our time. And this is the word today I want to kind of base this sermon on. And the word is grace. Can you say it with me? Grace. Well, well. What did he preach on today at church? You can say grace. Grace. This morning, it's a word when you feel guilty, when there's no excuses. And you know what I mean? You, you as a, maybe a teenager came in late and your parents were waiting up and they, you, you knew that there was no excuses. You were guilty. It's the word that you looked forward to hopefully getting, but you didn't really expect it. Maybe you were guilty at work or even with your husband or your wife. 
Maybe the older you get, that you came in and your children were waiting up for you. <laughs> and you thought, oh man, I wish I could, I would desire grace. It's the word that we crave the most when our guilt is exposed. But it's the word that we are hesitant to extend to somebody else when they're guilty. This morning, I want to talk about this word because it, when we're on the receiving end of grace, it's so refreshing. We're like, wow. But, but there's something about it that when it's required of us, we, we find ourselves kind of disturbed. I, I got to give somebody grace? This morning, the definition that what I, I want you to write down if you're taking notes is this. <clears throat> it is undeserved unearned, and you could even say unearnable favor. That's why the title of this series is The Unsettling Solution for Just About Everything. Undeserved, unearned, and it's unearnable favor. You you cannot deserve grace. Let, Let me say this. You cannot deserve grace any more than you can plan your own surprise party. Because if you were doing that, is you were planning it, it wouldn't be a surprise anymore. And see, with grace, it's the same thing as when you think that you deserve grace and you demand grace, it's not grace. And when we get to this place where we've all been before and we go, you know what, I, I don't deserve it, I, I can't earn it. But that's what I crave in my life. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. It has to start and it has to end with a relationship. It doesn't. It isn't something that we get outside of a relationship, but when we're in a relationship and it's something that we know that we have to give sometimes in a relationship and sometimes we're giving it. But here's what I want you to remember. That's why it was so important for God to show up. To be here on this earth because without the presence of the God that we serve, we could have never experienced it. That's why at Christmas that we look and we a lot of times see the baby in the manger and forget that he was on a mission to grow into man and willingly to die for our sins. This morning I I begin in a passage in John and and John was one of the uh, uh, disciples that walked and talked and just did life with Jesus for three years. And now he's getting older and he's the last one probably that's alive or we know that he was the oldest one to to live and to survive throughout the discipleship and then after Jesus had left the earth and and he's he's teaching and he's training people. And and I just wonder if in this period somebody said, John, you gotta write it down, your account of what you were a part of. You you didn't you you weren't just one of those that hurt you saw the things that most people now just hear about. And the Bible says, if you have your Bibles, look at John chapter 1, verse 14. And this is how John, as he begins to think, how am I going to allow, you know, Homer to read about Jesus? And how do I let Sergio know about what happened when Jesus was on the earth and Joe? And how do I start this? Because it's so fabulous. He'll end up by saying that the whole world couldn't contain all the books that could have been written about Jesus. 
How am I going to start this? In the Gospel of John, the 14th verse, he chooses to write this. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. In other words, what he's saying is the explanation for all things took up residence among us. He goes on, he says, we have seen, we, see he's talking about them, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son. The, the literal, we, His disciples. We didn't read about it, we didn't hear about it. We saw it with our own eyes. He goes on, and this is the part that's going to hinge on my message today. Listen to what he says. He, or who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let, let me read it all together. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full, full, full of grace and truth. It's not the balance of grace and truth. But the Bible, John is saying, I was with him. I saw it myself and he was full of grace and truth. Not Again, not a balance, not 50-50, but he's full of all grace, full of truth, all truth, all of the time. He was able to call sin, sin, and sinners, sinners. But at the same time, he had the ability to exhibit grace. That's why John would conclude, and if you know his gospel, really that God is love. Not that he has love, but he is love because he's the embodiment of all full of grace and truth. Now, this morning, you just heard that, but I want you to have that ring in your ears just like a song that somebody hums and now I can't get it out of my head. He was full of grace and truth. All grace, all truth, all of the time. See, that, that's where we get. And, and really, honestly, that's what the problem is a lot of times with who we are as people. What we do is we begin to walk in, you know, about 75% truth and 25% grace. Maybe you went to an all-truth church, you know what I mean? That's truth and that's the end of it and no grace. And you're out of balance and you're thinking, oh no. Maybe you grew up in a family where you think, man, I am, I'm kind of crazy because I had all grace and no truth. But what is happening here is the disciple, John, is saying, no, 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 that isn't true. There isn't a balance. It's, he was all grace and all truth all of the time. Now, now watch this. The Bible says that there's a day that comes and Jesus is walking and he's, he's making disciples and he's saying, follow me. And he's done that to Peter and James and John. And, and it's that awkward day where these guys, that they're, they're fishermen, they're not perfect, but they could say, at least we're not tax collectors. I don't go to church every Sunday, but by golly, am I going to rob from my own people? I'm not stupid. And the day comes in that awkward situation where Jesus goes up to the tax collector, the booth, and he says to Matthew, or you could say Simon, he says, Follow me. Can you just imagine Peter going, whoa, 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 Wait just a minute. Don't, don't. 
you must not be from around here. <laughs> it's okay, Jesus. He's a tax collector. We don't like tax collectors. You're us, not him. In which Jesus says to him, We're going, we want to go to your house for supper. Get your friends together and have a party. We're going to go over to your house. This has happened at another time with Zacchaeus. But this is Simon. And the Bible says that the disciples and Jesus go to his house. And again, I, I just have, I got to wonder because everybody kind of has a reputation, right? Come on now. Come on. Think about it. I'm not hanging out over there with them tax collectors. I wonder if the disciples say, I'm not going. And he goes, yes, you are because you're following me now. So they show up at this tax collector's house. And, 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 and here's where Jesus, again, begins to display all grace and all truth. Not a balance. Watch this. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, it says, when the Pharisees, these are the, the, the religious leaders, they're the political politicians of the day, the, the guys that would walk like this, you know, around because they didn't want to touch anything unclean. They had the robes. They had it going on, they thought. And, and when they see this, they, they, they kind of have this uneasy feeling. Why? Because he's exhibiting something that is not easy to do, and that is to give grace. And the Bible says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. And some people think that he was inside and the Pharisees are walking by and they see this happening. So they send somebody in to tell, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors? And then they put it, and sinners. Now, I want you to see this because all truth, all grace, all of the time. See, Jesus did not turn around and, and kind of in a loud voice because probably the messenger said it. Why are your, why is your teacher doing this with sinners and tax collectors? What if Jesus would have in a loud voice said this? Don't talk about the tax collectors. That way you're going to hurt their feelings. They might raise your taxes. <laughs> he does the grace and truth thing. Look at look at verse 12. It says, on hearing this, Jesus said, that isn't true, by the way. He didn't say that. In verse 12, you gotta read your Bible or I'm gonna slip something in there. Verse 12 says this. On hearing this, Jesus said. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, no, I just, we've heard that before, and you go, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. But, but have you ever thought about what Matthew's thinking? You know, he's, he's having a good time. I don't know, a Jewish dance or whatever it is. Jehovah, Jehovah whatever they're singing. Kind of has that Jewish. And, and all of a sudden he goes, wait, just man, whoa, 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 you, you, you calling me sick? You, me sick? Which I believe Jesus would say, yes, you are sick. You're stealing from your own people. But that's all right. I know that you're doing that. I know where you're at. I know 
you're in a place that you're a sinner, but I, I desire for you to follow me anyway. Think about that. He, he Listen, I'm not afraid to call a sinner a sinner, and I'm not afraid to go to their house for dinner. All spirit. Here he is. He's, he's speaking grace and truth all of the time. Think about it. Would that be uneasy for you? To call, he, he called him a sinner, but at the same time he experienced and gave grace. The next story I want you to know is a story that I, I know that most of us have heard a hundred times probably. And, and we, we know it is the woman that is caught in adultery. And one of the days that Jesus is teaching, he's on the Temple Mount. And if you know the Temple Mount is where the temple's built, that's where the uh, holies, the inner court, outer court, and then the Holy of Holies is the place where the presence of God. He's right there. And some people think that this lady that has been caught in adultery was caught the night before, so she's been even held to make this illustration in front of the people when Jesus comes to this place. And if that's true, here he is on the Temple Mount and he's preaching and they bring this lady in and they throw her down and they begin to say, this lady was caught in adultery and we have the law, the, the truth. And if you don't think it's the truth, you can go right over there to the temple and find it for yourself. That she needs to be stoned. Now think about that. The lady is terrified. Here she's in the middle of her sin. There is no excuse. There's... She's guilty. There's no way out of this. And at this time in history, there is no hope. She's condemned. Sit your watch. In a few hours, she'll be dead because of her sin. Jesus says in the story, as they threw out the whole thing about, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do? Everybody with me on this? They put him in a scenario because of hearing about grace and truth and it going against their, their grain and understanding. They want to see if he can do it. Here we go. What are you going to do, Jesus? And Jesus makes those that, that comment that says, you that are without sin, cast the first stone. And, and while he's doing that, he, he's writing in the sand. And again, theologians love, this is just fun to think about. What is he writing in the sand with his finger? Maybe it takes one to know one, you know? It, and Jesus, knowing everything, knew what that guy over there that was tossing the stone, what he had in his life going on, that lady over there that was ready to throw one. Because there's something about standing on the truth that makes us so mighty, but when we need to exhibit grace, that's where we become hesitant. It's disturbing. And, and you see the picture and it says that they leave the, the oldest, you know, probably grab the youngest. You know, no, no. Come on. It's not going to end well. I, I wonder if there's people in the crowd, of course, that know what each other has done too. That when Jesus puts that challenge out, if you're without sin, go ahead. 
And then Jesus looks at the lady and pretty much, you're guilty. But change. I, I don't condemn you either. In other words, go and change your life style. Quit sinning. Do you, do you hear me? You're a sinner. Everybody here knows about it. You know about it. Nobody's trying to hide that, excuse it, or, or try to sweep it under the rug. It's, it was because of your background. It was your, your dad didn't like you or your mother treated you bad. Whatever. He didn't say all that. He said, I don't condemn you either. And, and now, now flip yourself over and, and put it yourself in her shoes and think, wow, that, that's how, what? That, that's not that's not reality. I, I can't be free. I, I'm already condemned. How, how can the truth be exhibited and now grace at the same time? And as Jesus is playing this whole scenario out, his disciples are watching all truth. All grace, all grace, all truth, all of the time. All of a sudden they begin to realize there's a new lawgiver and a covenant maker that's come on the scene. Somebody that is walking among them, the word became flesh and dwelled among them. And all of a sudden they begin to see and experience truth and grace all of the time. And it's for the first time. Let me give you another scenario. As Jesus exhibited this throughout his whole ministry and as as we celebrate Christmas and him coming to show this to us, sometimes we lose sight of this, of all truth, all grace, all the time. But but think about the thief on the cross. Here he is now at the end of his ministry and, and fulfilling his mission to be able to come and die for us that our sins could be forgiven. And he's on the cross. The political leaders could not, could not, could not handle this whole principle of all grace, all truth, all the time. They had to kill him. They had to get rid of him. Now, now this part of the passage starts in Luke chapter 23, verse 32. John's at the end of his life. And again, as he's pinning this and writing this down, Think of the emotion that the writer John, the disciple that loved Jesus, is going through in his mind years later as he writes this and begins to recall what happened on the cross and before the cross. And it says this, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals one on his right and the other one on his left. Now, now this, this next verse is so brutal that I, I know that John wrote it for a purpose to, again, give us thousands of years later kind of the picture. It says, the people stood watching. Can, can you think how morbid that is? I've always wondered and I've always questioned why in the world in the old west when someone was executed would people they would have picnics and show up to watch a hanging come on this is what they're doing they're showing up to actually witness a crucifixion that everyone there that was a jew was against the the romans were so against it that this would be never an execution 
for an actual citizen of Rome. But the people are there to watch. And, and John makes sure that we know that. The people stood watching and the rulers sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. They're criminals. They know that Jesus is not a criminal, but I want you to again picture this. The people are watching. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Think about it. The, the criminal had no chance. There was no hope. They're there on the cross. They're dying a, a morbid death. It says this. Here's this criminal in verse 42. And it says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, now think about this. Every breath that they took, they had to push up on their feet that was nailed just in order to get a breath in the lungs. The people that are standing around watching are are hearing these probably just whispers coming out of their mouth. Just enough volume to be able to hear. And this criminal says, listen, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I, I wonder if the people that are there begin to laugh. Repentance. Repentance from a cross? That's meaningless. Your crazy little life is about ready to end in a couple hours. You know, you know, for you to have restitution or to rededicate your life into being good, you're on a cross. You, you know, you, you begin to see all this that's happening and sometimes we just read it as and we don't put ourselves into that situation. But again, why would even Jesus reply? It's every breath will take literally minutes off. He's in survival mode. But he chooses to respond and it says Jesus answered him. Today, I tell you. Today you will be with me. And I I wonder as he takes a breath, the criminal's going, I am with you today. I'm, I'm on the cross. But as he finishes, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, we all begin to jump ahead. Oh, wow, what a story. But if you go deeper in this subject that we're talking about, all grace, all truth, all of the time, what Jesus is saying to this guy that is a criminal, I offer you grace that you will be with me and you will get the same end of the story in your life of heaven as Stephen will get who will be martyred sometime later for his faith you'll get the same outcome as the apostle Peter John all of my disciples that's what I'm going to give you I know you're on the cross now and we begin to say that we go wow how in the world? How is that possible? 
And here it is, just like life, grace is not fair. If it was fair, it wouldn't be grace. Undeserving, unearned, unearnable favor. It's disturbing, isn't it? Sometimes we get to that place where we go, I I just don't get it. But it's the same grace that Peter, that betrays Jesus, or I should say denies Jesus, and even knowing Him, will turn around sometime later and Jesus says, I'm going to put you in charge because I'm leaving for the thing that I came to die for, the church. He'll give grace to a man named Saul of Tarsus that actually was trying to dismantle the the Jesus movement. (laughs) Christianity. He will allow Saul to become Paul by grace. And actually because of who God was to Paul in giving him grace, that he'll end up writing the majority of the New Testament. Grace that Paul would continually say that he didn't deserve. People wouldn't even believe it to be true. That he would have grace and be able to do what he's done for God. And before we end this week and go, and we'll wait until next week to go on, I I know what some of you might be thinking. And and the pushback that what we get as believers over all these years is is sometimes what we do is we say, how could that be possible? Wasn't Jesus uh, concerned with justice or consequences of your actions? Come come on, what is that? And and I believe that we'll talk about that in weeks to come. But here's here's what I know. That Jesus already knew the consequences of our actions and our sins. Because not one of us could earn our salvation. And because of that, the condemnation that was already ours before Jesus came was pushing us and pushing us and crushing us. Every sin has a gotcha. But Jesus came to get you. Amen. Isn't that good? It says that He came to seek and to save those that are lost. That's why I don't understand why everybody wouldn't want Christianity to be true. It's a message of hope. It's a message of love because all grace and all truth all of the time. I want to end by saying this, that Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Okay, that's John the Baptist. But then it says, since that time, since I came, Jesus, since the time that I've walked on the earth, since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way in it. That's what we're doing. And the the good news is the embodiment of Jesus. But if you want to sum up, summarize the good, 
I mean, the good news that all of us experience and all of us should be sharing with people that are around us this Christmas and throughout the year is summarized in one word, and that is grace. It's an invitation, just like Jesus gave Matthew. And maybe you have never really felt like that invitation was given to you. That Jesus says to us, follow me. I'll lead you away from your sin. All the confusion in your life. The feeling of hopelessness. Uselessness. And I'll give you life. Not only life to the full. But to the overflow. So when you're walking in that grace and truth. It's a life changer. This morning, would you just bow your heads with me? And this morning, as you get to the place, you say, well, pastor, I I believe I've been raised in all truth. Then you're going to have to walk by faith. Maybe this morning you'd say, you know, pastor, I've walked in all grace. And I don't get those, the truth brigade that is going around condemning people. but to realize right where you're at that Jesus says, I have come in all grace and all truth all of the time. That this morning, that you say, I receive that. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I don't just follow the things that I like, but as a Christ follower, I follow everything that God has taught us to be. Let's pray. Father, today, right where we're at, and especially this time at Christmas when we come to a place in our lives, that God, that we begin to see people and and sometimes they become an irritant to us and and sometimes we question, God, should we love that person because of what they've done? Or or God, should we... We don't even have time, God, for all those people. But God, help us to be reminded The same way that you love the Apostle John, Peter. Same way that you love the woman caught in adultery. Matthew, the tax collector, the criminal on the cross. Is the same way you love that person. The father that we might be having problems with. Or maybe it's us. That we just continually condemn ourselves. Compare ourselves. And therefore, God, we can never experience all grace all of the time. Father, this morning, I I pray this morning that we would walk in the truth that, God, that you're all truth and all grace all of the time. In your name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah.